0: This episode of Flip Flops and People Ops is brought to you by Pingboard. Likely some or all of your teams have been working remote and it's taking a huge toll on employee happiness. Why does that matter? Because unhappy employees will leave to try to find a better experience at another company. Power up your employees with Pingboard's employee networking software. It includes a simple peer recognition tool, employee directory, and other get-to-know-you features that help everyone feel engaged and connected no matter where they work. Try it with your team for free today. Visit pingboard.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Flip Flops and People Ops. This is the show that teaches you how to build a better culture by putting your people first. I'm your host, Christy, and today we're going to talk about psychological safety in the workplace and making sure that you really understand what it means and how to talk about it before you implement something like this into your culture and to make sure it's something you want to implement. Psychological safety is a pretty well-established driver of high-quality decision-making. It makes for really healthy group dynamics when it's done well and just overall makes your organization more effective. It's a pretty popular term. It's been around since the 90s. I'll get into that, but I see a lot of people using it on LinkedIn and I see them using it incorrectly. And I'm not the queen of how to say or talk about this. There are lots of things that I thought I understood. And it turns out I didn't. Here's an example. This is not at all relevant to what we're talking about today, but I still can't tell the difference between prohibited and not prohibited because not prohibited means it's allowed, but prohibited is such a scary sounding word. Like this is prohibited. It's like, okay, so not prohibited. Like this is not allowed. I don't know. I think I was absent that day in school when we learned what the those words mean. And Yeah. So anyway, I'm not scolding those people. We all have things that we think we understand or they sound nice and we think we get it. But I'm here today to make sure you understand what psychological safety is and is not. What I think is happening is that people see the word safety and they think that it's a tactic to make your people really nice to each other or just to create an environment where everybody's really kind. And yes, obviously, it's very important for your humans to be kind to each other. That goes without saying. But the actual definition of psychological safety is the belief that you or anyone at the organization can speak up without risk of punishment or humiliation. We're talking about candor. It's about being direct, taking risks, and teaching your managers and your employees to be willing to say, you know what? I screwed that up. Or I don't think we're measuring the right data. Or the way we're tracking help tickets in Zendesk, I don't think makes sense for getting to the root of the customer issues that we're trying to solve. Or even, you know, I don't really understand what we're discussing right now. I need to take a step back. Someone needs to explain this to me in a different way. Now, why is this so hard for teams to do? It's because it goes against our human instinct. We have an instinct to divert blame, to want to look good in front of others and to appease the boss. Hierarchies definitely bring that out in us. We have a tendency to stay quiet unless we're sure that what we're going to say is going to be well-received by our higher-ups or our peers. Failing in front of others doesn't feel safe to us. And it's because humans for generations, you know, your ancestors, my ancestors, if you really go far back, we all come from tribes. If you weren't on good terms with your tribe, you were in a lot of trouble. So it's like our little caveman brain still hasn't caught up to just how we operate now. So psychological safety. The term was created in the late 1990s by a woman named Amy Edmondson. She was and is currently a professor at the Harvard Business School, and she was studying medical mistakes in hospitals. She wanted to know if better teams basically made fewer mistakes, but what she found out was quite the opposite. So at a children's hospital in Minneapolis, Amy was working with a COO named Julie Marath. And Julie basically asked groups full of employees from the hospital. She would say, think about your experiences last week with the patients. Was everything as safe as you would like it to be? And... You'll notice that she didn't say, Did someone do something wrong? Or did you see someone make a mistake? And she explained that her office became a confessional and people were lining up to tell her, No, I don't think that we're doing this as safely as we could, or this happened. And because of it, this happened. So we had that example from a hospital, but here's a couple different examples. Depending on what company you work for, questions can be asked like, Are we measuring the right data? Are we selling our product to the right people? Are we giving our customers the best possible experience? Is there a better way to do XYZ process? Psychologically safe employees are comfortable challenging the status quo. They're not interested in looking good. They're interested in learning and asking the tough questions to get to the best possible answer. And that is the competitive advantage for your organization. Psychological safety is not as simple as saying, hey, there's going to be new snacks mailed to you while we're working remote. It's a radical decision, but I think it's one worth making if you want your employees to feel like there's meaning behind their work and that they're growing as people. One very unfortunate example of a company who did not have psychological safety is of Wells Fargo back in 2015. They had a pretty common sales strategy to push cross-selling, which is... You know, once you've sold one thing to a customer, the people who work there are trained to identify other areas, other products that they might also be a fit for so that they spend more money. So in this example, if someone has a checking account, maybe they also need a savings account and then they can get a home loan and a car loan, etc. But what ended up playing out is that Employees were being pushed, pushed, pushed to keep cross-selling other financial services and products. And the message down kept being, you must do this. And the employees eventually, they had a sense that they'd be fired if they didn't achieve their targets because the managers were very tough. So in order to hit their sales goals, the employees started making up fake customers and lying to customers saying, if you buy this, then you absolutely also have to buy this. You don't have a choice. (laughs) And they just did all of these things that crossed an ethical line and it led to them doing things that were inappropriate and wrong. This ended up becoming a very public PR nightmare for them and not good at all for their reputation as an employer. It's a very extreme example of what can happen when there's an absence of psychological safety. What should have happened is that the employees felt empowered to say, actually, I don't think this works. And I think it might even be encouraging some behaviors that we don't want to encourage as a brand for Wells Fargo. And the manager could say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, let's tweak it. Let's talk together about what could be the best incentive to optimize our sales team's performance. But that's obviously not what happened. Another quick example of this going really right is Pixar. Pixar is a company that has had 17 major box office successes in a row. It's unheard of success. And one of their leaders, Ed Catmull, who's one of the longtime leaders, he has very deliberately created a psychologically safe environment where candor is expected. They need critical feedback to make good movies. He tells all of his employees early on, all of our movies are very bad. They're terrible. (laughs) And he doesn't say that because that's the good news. But he wants his employees to know that's just part of our journey as a team. There's no way to get to these magnificent box office records unless you go through all the pushback to make it better. He says, when I introduce a version one film, it's my baby. I don't want anyone to criticize my baby, but you have to realize that you would much rather have your employees your team criticize it and make it better rather than find out about it at the box office later. So wouldn't you rather have your employees be very radical and direct with their feedback on processes and optimizations you can make to the way that your company does business in little ways so that you don't hear it from your customers later, so that you don't hear it from analysts later, so that just overall as an organization, you're doing the best that you can. So here's a couple steps to get this started in your organization. Obviously, you would want to have some kind of training with your managers to explain what this is, what psychological safety is and isn't. It's not a reason for everyone to be super nice, but it's also not a reason for everyone to be a jerk. There is a balance. And I highly recommend you read the book Radical Candor um, and just research candor and the ways to teach your employees to say what you mean. But remember that the other person is a human. At a high level, managers should explain this candor and the psychological safety is not about aggression or personal criticism. So while open communication and feedback may not always be positive, it should still be designed to be helpful and offered with sincerity and a layer of respect. In order for this to work too, and something your teams might not be used to, is no more beating around the bush. You have to teach people that this type of communication requires direct, straightforward speaking. And in order to get to the point without tearing anyone down or making someone feel like they're under some kind of personal attack, a really easy thing to tell your people is to try to be candid with the spirit of building up rather than tearing down. So how can you phrase it that's like, there's an opportunity for us to do better? Or I see a chance for us to change this process, which would create a better experience for blah, blah, blah. Instead of, I think this is stupid. I think this new policy is idiotic. I hate our website. Things like that. Teach them helpful phrases. I see an opportunity. I know we can do better. Things like that. Your voice might be the one that makes a difference on a project, on a process, on our roadmap. And in that hospital example, it was like, Hey, speaking up saves lives. Obviously, that might not apply to your company, but speaking up could be the difference between getting our Series A funding or like never taking off as an organization. Whatever it is, speaking up is what's going to make the difference. All of you should speak up. Leaders who drive these kinds of conversations are anything but soft, they have empathy and they're just trying to understand what's keeping the team, the organization, the product from being great. Now, initially, your managers might really want to focus on metrics. Obviously, metrics are important and they can help guide conversations, but they're also a little out of touch with reality because so many organizations are in a new territory with at least some part of their business because of the pandemic. So innovation is really important right now. Make sure that you teach them to say statements like we need to hear from you. What ideas do you have? And the next step is to really get to those questions. When the manager asks things like, what are you seeing out there? What ideas do you have? What help can I offer? And when they do that, they're creating a moment, especially if it's in a group setting where there's trust being built. The manager needs to listen, draw on any personal experience, share past failures, When those moments build up over time, you create a safe place for anybody to really say anything they believe. It's amazing what you can ask somebody if you really believe that they care. You can ask them anything. And if they believe you care, they will offer it back and get something out of it to learn something or feel a little bit better about a situation. And then from there, you need to teach your managers to promote healthy conflict. Conflict is considered one of the riskiest interpersonal behaviors. Like I said at the beginning, that goes against our human nature. Since this could become a habit change that's a little bit stressful because it doesn't come naturally to us, you can have everybody go through an exercise called Just Like Me, which asks you to consider. This person has beliefs, perspectives, and opinions just like me. This person has hopes, anxieties, and vulnerabilities just like me. This person has friends, family, and perhaps children who love them, just like me. This person wants to feel respected, appreciated, and competent, just like me. And lastly, this person wishes for peace, joy, and happiness, just like me. Teaching your people to replace blame with curiosity is another way to make sure that if you implement this, it doesn't lead to defensiveness and then eventually a drop-in engagement. And when direct feedback like this is given, your managers have to be taught to respond appreciatively. If you bite someone's head off the first time they bring bad news, that kills the vibe for the whole group. Managers need to say things like, thank you for that clear line of sight. And what can I do to help? That doesn't mean that they have to be thrilled about what was just said. Either, you know, we're going to miss this deadline or this customer is going to churn but it means that the manager is recognizing the courage it takes to come forward with bad news or to ask a probing question when an employee is unsure about something. Teaching all your people to think through that framework before they say their feedback helps give that underlying layer of respect that delivers feedback on the thing and not the person. Your managers need to be told to welcome curiosity and promote healthy conflict. There is a Big difference between people arguing and people having a respectful debate about ideas. A lot of times people just don't have the full story, and they're like, I know if we changed this form on our marketing site, that we would increase our leads by this much percent. But the other person is like, yeah, but that creates a lot of dev work on the back end. And we can't do that because then we can't build this other feature that our customers have been asking for. So everyone needs to learn to be comfortable leaning into somewhat uncomfortable conversations. But the minute things get out of hand, it's not candor anymore and it needs to be pulled back. Something really important for the leaders and any people manager's to be told, is that everyone now has a responsibility to be a watchdog. Anyone who observes someone using this psychologically safe idea to give candor in a way that is rude or just not helpful, make sure to pull that person aside privately and just explain to them, again, how to frame things in a way that are posed for growth and not posed for tearing the organization or the people down. Now, how do you know if what you're implementing is making or breaking your culture? I talk about this all the time. You should be sending pulse surveys as often as you realistically can. They should be short and brief, maybe even one question just to make sure people don't get burned out on them. But you need to really explain to your employees that you use those surveys to serve them to create a better employee experience. So after you start pushing this psychological safety and implementing some of this training for your managers and your employees, you should ask them anonymously. Do you feel like your ideas are taken seriously? How confident are you that you won't receive retaliation or some kind of criticism if you admit that you made a mistake? Do you feel like you have ideas that could change the business that aren't being implemented? And those are the open-ended questions that you should ask over the course of weeks and months and really see like, okay, are we seeing an improvement in psychological safety? Do people feel like they can say what they mean and that they won't be ridiculed and there's trust and they will be humiliated? And they'll be taken seriously. If you create this sense of psychological safety in your own organization starting now, you can expect to see over the course of time, higher levels of engagement, more learning and development opportunities, and more motivation to tackle difficult problems. You're pulling out a better performance in your people when there's safety to get to the why and to ask the hard questions. That's why I said at the beginning of this that not every organization is ready for this. And they might not even want it. But now if you hear this term used incorrectly or used just to try to insinuate that everybody's just going to be nicer to each other, you now know the potential for innovation and growth at your company it can create. But that it requires training at all levels for everyone to understand what's really going on and how to do it in a respectful and a kind way that pushes the company forward and doesn't quickly create a toxic culture where everyone feels like they're under personal attack. So is psychological safety right for your organization? Maybe. Go for it. Try it. Your people in your organization deserves it. But if you feel like it's not the right time, keep learning about it. Read the book Radical Candor and talk to the leadership team about how this could really be what makes or breaks your organization or at least gets you to the next level that everybody wants to get to. Make me smile. The next segment is called Make Me Smile, and this is where I tell you about a company or a person doing something awesome that I think is worth sharing. Today, I'm sharing an idea that you can try at your company to make your teams feel more connected. It works if your teams are in person, completely remote, or maybe you're trying the hybrid model. So Carolyn Eisenhower, she's the people manager at a company called KetchCo. Catchco is a rapidly growing company that, among other things, sells a subscription to a monthly mystery tackle box to help anglers explore their passion for fishing. You could think of them like the birch box of fishing lures. That reference may or may not have made sense to you because it's about makeup. Anyway, Tara is one of those HR unicorns that I talk about sometimes. She's awesome. She owns recruiting, onboarding, office management, events, you know, just the overall giant task of overseeing the employee experience. She does a lot. So with the help of Ketchco's culture committee and her direct report, Zoe DePretta, she recently implemented something called the house system. She divided her company up into houses and the houses are structured in ways that the people in them wouldn't normally work together. So in each house, there is at least one member of the leadership team and a mix of other people from, you know, finance, operations, marketing, product. There's team spirit, some healthy competition and a whole lot of team building. And each house has its own Slack channel and is named after a awesome fish pun. And here are some examples. One house is called. Bed, Bass, and Beyond. Another is called Black Hole Sunfish, which is very metal. And another example is Fluke Skywalker, just to name a few. They have challenges and chances to win points all the time, and it gets everyone to come together and try to get their house to have the most points. So for example, she'll have them fill out a mental health survey that's not anonymous, but if you put your house at the end, then the house gets points. She'll make a hashtag for LinkedIn, you know, why I w- love working at Ketchco, and that gives you points. Some other examples are finding the hidden link in the monthly newsletter, attend a fireside or present at the Shark Tank Idea competition, or compete in a photo scavenger hunt or, you know, even step challenges where people get their steps in and get their exercise. So team spirit and healthy competition aside... The house system is extremely useful for Taralyn from a people ops perspective because one person from each house is also a member of the culture committee. So when Taralyn needs volunteers or needs to spread the word about something, she'll ask those seven delegates from each house, like, hey, bring this to your house, make sure everybody knows. Ketchco is bringing in a lot of remote employees, and they wouldn't be as easily integrated into a group of 60 people in person, but they will be more easily integrated into these house groups of 8 to 10. Ketchco has received a round of funding and went from 45 to 70 people in about three months. So the house is host a happy hour for the new hire that has been assigned to that house instead of scheduling a happy hour with the entire company or just the same extroverted people who might get tired of being asked all the time. So Tara Lynn is a great person for you to connect with on LinkedIn. Make sure you follow Ketchco because they have such a fun and lovely culture and they're hiring like crazy. I'll link out to all of these pages and examples in the show notes, including a picture of the Ketchco team and one of their recent murder mystery nights. Okay, and lastly is a segment called My Two Cents, and it's where I give you a quick tip on how to be a better leader to your people. Think if you have an opportunity to pull up someone on your team to attend something that they normally aren't invited to. So maybe it's the leadership huddle or some kind of planning cycle that no sensitive employee data is being shared that they're not supposed to know, but... It could be really interesting for one of your employees to see what a day is like in your shoes just by attending one of your meetings. For me, it's attending a shaping session on how we're going to bring something to market. I would go with my boss to talk about the ins and outs of a feature and how it would look, how it would sound, how it would be built and picking what's next on our product roadmap. So see if you can find a way to pull someone up. Don't do it with just one person because that might make people think that there's some favoritism, but find a way to not all the time, but when it's appropriate, grab someone from the team and be like, Hey, come with me, um, share the wealth, make sure everybody gets a chance to see what the next level up does every day. And it might inspire them to keep pushing and growing their career. So that's what I have for you today. These episodes are getting a little long, so I am curious what you think. If you want me to go a little shorter, maybe more high level, email me and let me know or leave a review and let me know. You can email me at host at pingboard.com or follow me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash I N slash Christy Hoffman. I'll talk to you soon. Hey everybody. It's Christy make sure you go review the show on Apple podcasts. More reviews means I get to spend more time making the show. Also, I'd love to hear from you. So send me your tips, your questions or anything else. You can connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Christy Hoffman. See you next time.